right at the beginning of the message, I'd like to see the hands of those who have ever been offended or hurt or deeply disappointed by someone you loved. Okay, i just check in to make sure I brought the right message for this crowd. All of us know that maintaining quality relationships is a challenge. It's hard work. There are a lot of components that go into making and keeping a relationship strong. And there are a lot of obstacles to overcome if we're going to maintain healthy relationships. But rising above them all is one obstacle that virtually guarantees the demise of a quality, loving relationship if that is not addressed and resolved. It's the obstacle of unforgiveness. Anytime you get two people together, people who come from different backgrounds, with different skill sets, with different personalities, with different preferences, anytime two people get together, there are going to be times of disagreement. Hurts are going to be inflicted. And no one can hurt you as deeply or as severely as one you truly love. Just because we're human, anytime you get us together, someone is bound to mess up. We can say something, or give a certain look, or use a certain tone, and without ever meaning to, we can create a gaping wound in the one we love. A lot of times, we're completely oblivious to the hurt we've caused until it elicits a defensive or reactionary or retaliatory response that is equally hurtful to us. Somewhere along the line, we're going to have to realize that one of the most important lessons we can learn in trying to develop and maintain strong, loving relationships is to speak the language of forgiveness. What I've observed is that forgiveness is a lot easier to receive than it is to give. So in order for us to learn how to walk out this attribute and learn how to be forgiving people, we have to begin talking about the guilt we bear. Whether we like it or not, whether we like to admit it or not, every one of us needs forgiveness. Every one of us stands in violation of God's law, God's will, and God's design. We don't hear too much about it these days, but the fact remains that we all begin as sinners in need of forgiveness. Now, you've heard me speak about different words the Bible uses to talk about sin on other occasions, but I think it bears repeating in this context. See, when the Bible talks about sin, the original language of the New Testament uses different words to define and clarify the scope of the offense. The first word is hamartia, which literally means missing the mark. This is the sin of failing to be what God wants you to be, failing to be what you might have been. It's the sin of embracing an identity other than the one God assigns to you, one that is beneath his highest and best for you. Hamartia is like an archer shooting an arrow. He draws the bow, but the arrow fails to even reach the target, let alone the bullseye. God has given a target to us, but we miss the mark. That's hamartia. The second word is parabasis, which means stepping across the line. This is where we get the idea of trespassing. This is deliberate disobedience. 
willfully stepping across the line to a place off limits or out of bounds. My grandmother used to tell the story of uh, my, one of my uncles, and um, he was a um, determined child, <laughs> strong-willed. And my grandmother had all kind of little knickknacks and whatnots. Do you, do you know what knickknacks and whatnots are? Do I have to explain? Okay, good. I don't have to explain all that. Little figuring all over shelves. And so my uncle, when he was very small, he was intensely curious about all of those. And he would want to touch them and hold them and, you know. And so one day he was on a chair reaching for one of those whatnots, and my grandmother saw him, and Granny said, Lamar, don't do that. He looked at her. She said, I said, don't do that. She said, Lamar, if you touch that, I'm going to spank you. He looked at the whatnot, looked at Granny, looked back, he said, if I touch it, you spank me? Yes, if you touch it, I'll spank you. I touch it. <laughs> That's parabasis. <laughs> then there's the word paraptoma, which means slipping across. It isn't intentional. It's not premeditated. It's like a man walking across a patch of ice and slipping, falling down, hurting himself. Truth is, he shouldn't have been on the ice in the first place. But once he got there, he lost his footing. He slipped and fell. Another word used to describe sin and the sinful condition is the word anomia, which means without law, lawless. We see this manifested in the desire to do our own thing, to be a law unto ourselves, to throw off all restraints of family and society and government and even God. Often the only thing that keeps us from completely running wild is the fear of getting caught. And finally, there is the word ophelima, which means debt. This speaks of the debt we owe to God or to someone else. Anytime we fail to give God and to others what is properly theirs, we incur a debt of sin. That's why in Matthew 15, 4, when we fail to honor father and mother, we sin. In Psalm 113, verses 1 through 3, when we fail to praise God, we sin, for praise is due him. In Hebrews 5 and 9, when we fail to obey, we sin. In Matthew 22 and 39, when we fail to love our neighbor, we sin. So this is the condition in which we find ourselves. We miss the mark, amartia. We deliberately step across the line, out of bounds, parabasis. We slip and fall, paraptoma. We ignore God's law and become a law unto ourselves, anomia. We fail to pay the debt to God and to others that is their due, ophelima. Now this is as bad as it can get because this is our condition. There's a great divide between you and God. The relationship is completely broken. There's nothing you can do to get it restored again. Sin has separated you from God. Sin has distorted your life so that you embrace an identity that is far less than the identity assigned to you by your creator. Sin has caused you to come under the judgment of God. Sin has toppled you from a position as a child of God to being a slave to sin. And no matter how hard you try, there is no possible way you can ever recover from this fatal condition. Now, aren't you glad we had a great move of God at the beginning of the service? That's the bad news today. 
And I hate to talk to you about bad news, but if you don't fully understand how bad the bad news is, you can't fully understand how good the good news is. Thank God there is some good news today. I didn't just come to tell you about the bad news. I came to this pulpit with some good news for anyone who will have ears to hear. I didn't just come to tell you about the guilt we bear. I also came to tell you about the grace we've received. That grace is Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That grace is Ephesians 1.7. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. That grace is 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That grace is Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That grace is Romans 5 and 20. And the law came in that the transgression might increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. The grace you have received is Isaiah 38 and 17. It is you who have kept my soul from the pit of nothingness. For you have cast all my sin behind your back. The grace you have received is Psalm 103 and 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. The grace you have received is Jeremiah 31, 34. I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. The grace you have received is in the words of the hymn we sometimes sing. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. <laughs> Hallelujah. This grace you have received and the forgiveness he has given is not because of anything you've done. It's all because of his divine favor. See, when you didn't want him, he desired you. When you hid from him, he sought you. When you denied him, he embraced you. When you ran from him, he came after you. When you rejected him, he accepted you. When you finally surrendered to him, he didn't beat you up and berate you for how bad you've been, but he redeemed you and he forgave you and he washed you and he cleansed you and he mended you and he received you. You are now unequivocally, unreservedly, unapologetically forgiven. Anytime your spiritual enemy tries to bring up your past, the only response needed is to say, I'm forgiven. The strength in which you stand today is the assurance of forgiveness. The hope you have for tomorrow is the assurance of forgiveness. See, because of forgiveness, your past is permanently behind you. Because of forgiveness, your yesterday doesn't determine your tomorrow. Because of forgiveness, your future is secure. Because of forgiveness, the possibilities are limitless. I want to know, is there anybody thankful that you are forgiven today? Praise God for forgiveness. Well, the guilt we bear and the grace we've received are truths every believer needs to have firmly settled in your mind and in your spirit. You have to understand your need for forgiveness and the forgiveness you have received from God through Christ 
in order for this concept of forgiveness to be able to work out in your life and in the relationships you seek to have. But now we turn the coin over. And here we behold the, gra- the gift we bestow. I've, I've told you before, there's some things in the Bible I wish the Lord hadn't put there. I'm really happy when I read about the forgiveness I've received. I'm excited to know that God's grace has been freely bestowed on my life to the extent he would love me and save me and redeem me and forgive me. And then I read the words of our text. (laughs) Forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. There are times I wish he hadn't put that in there. Don't look so piously at me. When I've been injured, when I've been wronged, when I've been abused, I wish he hadn't said I am to forgive others just as God in Christ has forgiven me. See, there's a part of me that wants to try and find a loophole. Wants to try to make it as if Paul was writing this under his own initiative rather than under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. There's a part of me that wants to dismiss this as something too idealistic, too impractical to be implemented. But, But when you read the Bible, you discover it's full of statements just like this on the subject of forgiveness. Jesus said it like this in the prayer he taught us to pray in Matthew 6, 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now we might dismiss those words as mere poetic imagery until he comes back in the same chapter, two verses later in verses 14 and 15 and says, For if you forgive men for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But, wish he had just omitted this part. But he didn't, it's there. But if you do not forgive men, then your father will not forgive your transgressions. Did you have to put that in there? (laughs) Jesus said in Mark 11, verses 25 and 26, and whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone. So that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your transgressions. But, (laughs) if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. Again, we hear him say in Luke 17, verses 3 and 4, be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. Don't you hate that? (laughs) The Apostle Paul writes in Colossians 3 verses 12 and 13 and says, And so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should 
you. Time after time after time, the Bible is very clear about the nature and the level of forgiveness we extend. We are to forgive others in the same way we have been forgiven. Here's what I know. Rarely do relationships break up over one big thing. It's the little things piled on top of each other. Never getting any resolution, never being fully forgiven, and over time they pile up until eventually everything breaks and the relationship is destroyed. When you examine this idea of forgiveness a little closer, one of the things you discover is that forgiveness is really a gift you give to yourself. Forgiveness isn't really about helping the person who has wounded you. In fact, it may not have any effect on that person whatsoever. Forgiveness is about helping you. No one benefits from forgiveness more than the one who forgives. If you're holding a grudge against someone, if you're harboring unforgiveness towards someone, you are not hurting them one bit. The only person being hurt by your unforgiveness is you, and it's killing you. To withhold forgiveness is to choose to continue to remain the victim. Non-forgiveness keeps you in the struggle. You may go on and pretend everything's all right, but somewhere along the line, it will produce anger and resentment and malice and strife. Refusing to forgive causes you to hold a grudge. And the bitterness of a grudge is like drinking poison and expecting it to hurt the other person. In its simplest form, forgiveness is the refusal to hurt the one who hurt you. Now, that doesn't mean forgiveness lets the person off the hook legally. Neither does your forgiving someone necessarily mean you must be reconciled with that person. That's a separate matter entirely. See, forgiveness isn't blind. In fact, we can only forgive what we know to be wrong. But forgiveness is a choice. You don't find forgiveness. You give forgiveness as a decision. You choose not to hang on to the injustice, the wrong, the hurt. You choose to give up, to let go. You choose to give up resentment, revenge, and obsession. It doesn't mean you forget that the wrong was done. It means you refuse to let that wrong control the rest of your life. Robert Enright, developmental psychologist at the University of Wisconsin, defines forgiveness as giving up the resentment to which you are entitled and offering to the person who hurt you friendlier attitudes to which they are not entitled. See, refusing to forgive causes you to remain stuck in the past, and there's no future in the past. You can never live in the present, and you can never create a new and exciting future if you remain stuck in your past. Your choice to forgive or not to forgive either moves you closer to what you desire or further away from it. You, you, may, you may have no control over what somebody else does to you or says about you. You can't control how somebody else behaves, how he or she mistreats you. But you can control how you will respond. 
You can harbor resentment toward them. You can hold on to the grudge. You can nurture and feed the anger. Or you can choose to release all that. You can cleanse your life from that toxic poison of soul and spirit. And the way you do that is by your conscious decision to forgive. You do not control the actions of others, but in choosing to forgive, you establish control over your own responses. Let me give you a nugget to file away for future reference. You may want to write this down. The only people you should ever want to get even with are those who have helped you. One other piece to this puzzle I want to give you before I show you a plan of action. Y'all doing okay? Have I hit everybody yet or have you still got one or two holdouts that I need to work on? Most of the time, refusing to forgive doesn't derive from some lofty sense of justice, but rather it derives from self-centeredness. Now, you didn't want to hear that, I know, but it's already out. It comes from wanting to nurse our wounds and elicit sympathy and have others join us in our sense of being wronged. It comes from us wanting to dwell on the injustice. It comes from wanting the perpetrator to get what's coming to him. Listen, there's a bright and glorious future ahead of you, but you'll never experience it as long as you're stuck in the past. And you'll remain stuck as long as you're bound with the chains forged from holding on to the offense and refusing to forgive. If you want to be free from the bitterness, if you want to restore and strengthen the connection into a healthy, loving, vibrant relationship, then you must choose to freely forgive. And the best model I can give you for how to forgive is none other than the forgiveness exhibited by the Lord Jesus on the cross. Now, let me just tell you, this right here is worth the price of admission. What I'm about to tell you, this is it. The Jesus model of forgiveness consists of three action steps. First, Jesus sympathized with the offender. Think about it. Here he is suffering in horrible agony. His back is beaten to a bloody pulp. Nails are driven through hands and feet. Spittle is matted in his beard, what remains of his beard from being torn out. A thorny crown pierces his brow. All his friends have forsaken him. In the midst of that terrible suffering, what does he do? He prays, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. On the cross, Jesus looked past his own plight and saw the true condition of his enemies and felt compassion for them. See, when you sympathize, you try to look beyond the offense to other factors that help explain why the person has offended you and why they're behaving the way they're behaving. And the better you understand someone, the more easily you can forgive. If you don't understand how desperately you need to be forgiven, you'll find it almost impossible to forgive someone else. But when you realize how much you need to be forgiven and how much you have been forgiven, then you'll more readily extend forgiveness to someone else. When you get, off, get your eyes off the offense you are experiencing and onto the hurt and the need that is resonant in the heart of the offender, you'll find it much easier to forgive. When you refuse to forgive, you keep the focus on yourself. It's selfish, 
and it's pride. Not only did Jesus sympathize with the offender, but he surrendered the offense to his heavenly father. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus looked ahead to his crucifixion, to the shameful treatment, the agonizing pain, and worst of all, the sin of all humanity being placed squarely upon him. Facing the unimaginable, Jesus prayed in Luke 22 and 44, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. 1 Peter 2 verses 21 through 23 personalizes that idea to every one of us when it says, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Releasing the offense and the offender means we relinquish the right to retaliate. This is going to mess with somebody. It also means we relinquish the right to go to the offender and tell him or her, I just want you to know I forgive you. That is sanctimonious and condescending. They don't have to ask for forgiveness in order for you to forgive. In fact, they may never ask for forgiveness. And when you go and tell them you forgive them without any request for forgiveness, it only serves to satisfy some prideful sense of spiritual superiority you have over them. See how, see how righteous I am. I, I forgive you. Hmm. When you surrender the offense, you need to send that offense somewhere. So follow the example of Jesus and release it to your heavenly father. See, we would rather hang on to it. We would rather nurse it. We'd rather dwell on it. But if you want to be free, if you want to have a strong, healthy, meaningful relationship, let it go. Surrender it. Release it to the heavenly father. Not my will. Your will be done. Jesus sympathized with his offenders. He surrendered the offense to his heavenly father. Then third, he secured the father's help. When Jesus prayed, your will be done, he believed his father's will would be accomplished. He had hope and trusted God to work. See, you can't feel vindictive or revengeful if you are trusting God's perfect care and righteous judgment. The extent you are willing to release the situation is the extent you can secure God's intervention and help to forgive. These three steps I just gave you, they're not a formula as much as they are a path to building a better communication with the person with whom your relationship is strained or broken. See, there's some people you need to forgive and they can't ask your forgiveness and you can't talk to them about it because they're dead. but you're still harboring stuff against them. Release it. Why be bound to that? Turn it loose. 
see, if you have sympathized, you will talk with the person with more understanding instead of always making your case about why and how you've been hurt. If you have surrendered your resentment, the other person will detect a different tone and attitude in your words and in all probability will talk to you with a better attitude. When your hope is in God, when you have secured his promise of help and are looking to what God will do in this situation, you're not going to place unrealistic expectations on the other person. See, what, what I'm offering you today is a way out of the bondage to the past and a way forward to a bright tomorrow. It's through a conscious decision to forgive. It isn't something you have to offer unsolicited to the offending person. It's an internal decision. It's an agreement you make with yourself. It's an agreement you make with the help of the Holy Spirit. You identify the wrong, and then you decide, I'm not going to hold it against him. I'm going to forgive. And let me tell you, you may have to do it more than once, especially if you've carried this for a long time. But over and over and over, every time it comes up, you just decide, I forgive. And when it tries to take over your life again, you just say, no, you can't do that. I've forgiven. I've forgiven. I've forgiven. Right now, I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to someone, encouraging you to put this into practice. Some of you are struggling with this. Some of you are struggling in a relationship. Why not put aside your pride? Why not put aside your justifications for feeling the way you do? Yeah, you're fully justified. I get it. So what? Put it aside. Do do you want to be right or do you want to be free? That was just sudden inspiration. I didn't have that in my notes anywhere, but I hadn't thought about that. Really, do you want to be right or do you want to be free? In the quietness of your own heart. Go ahead. Just forgive. Right now, you can do that. You don't need to come forward and have the pastor lay hands on you to do that. No. Just do it. Just forgive. Maybe you don't feel like forgiving. I didn't ask you how you felt. You can still make up your mind you will forgive. You can take the action of saying out loud to God, I forgive him, I forgive her. I'm talking to some people who have heard this message on forgiveness today, and while I've been preaching, the Holy Spirit has been making you very uncomfortable because you're remembering someone you haven't forgiven. I'm just talking as straight to you as I know how to talk to you. You know, time is too short for us to just kind of play around the edges of this stuff. The Holy Spirit's calling you to repent of your unforgiving spirit. I, I may very well be talking to someone who needs to say to your spouse, please forgive me for being so unforgiving. I believe I'm talking to some people who are harboring, harboring resentment over an offense that was never intended, but you chose to take it to heart to respond negatively. You decided to be offended and upset and hurt. See, you can't get offended if you decide you're not going to be offended. You choose that. And so the Holy Spirit is saying to you right now, instead of taking on the offense, 
let it go with an act of forgiveness. Holy Spirit's here right now. He's been here all service. He's been here before, before we ever sang the first song. Before the first note was ever played, the Holy Spirit was already here, brooding in this congregation. We sensed it from the very opening of the service. And He's here right now. And He's here giving you the courage to practice what you know the Lord desires. You're being obedient to the word of the Lord. You're being obedient to the voice of the Holy Spirit. So trust Him with the outcome. Trust Him to take care of the injustice. Uh, He can do a much better job than you can anyway. All over this house, if the Holy Spirit is dealing with your heart, don't resist. Respond to the work of the Holy Spirit. Release the hurt. Release the anger. Release the desire for revenge. Just let it go. Forgive. Bow your heads with me, please. Come on. Do that right now. If there's something going on, something you know, something the Holy Spirit has put His finger on. Just right now, just look to Him and say, Lord, I forgive. I don't even want to forgive, but I know I need to, so I'm going to do it by faith, and I'm going to do it as a decision of my will. See, there's healing in that. There's deliverance in that. There's freedom in that. You can be right or you can be free. So forgive. Forgive. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence. Oh, I sense you so strong right now. You're doing a deep work in our hearts. Give us the courage to respond in obedience and to forgive. Cleanse us. Just just, just purge all of that, all of that toxic stuff that we've held on to. Purge it out of our hearts and out of our lives. Give us, oh Lord, that awareness of freedom that comes as we release this to you. And as it comes up again, as it most surely will, give us the courage and the determination that we will continue to release until it no longer is any kind of an issue with us. Thank you for doing that today. Thank you for doing that today. Search us, O 